0: It's a privilege to be with you all this morning. Look at this place. This is absolutely amazing. It is such a privilege uh, to be with you. Thank you for that introduction. Thank you for worship. Uh, Pastor Tim, Pastor Jesse, thank you for allowing me to come and stand behind the sacred desk and to uh, to preach uh, the Word of God to you today. What It really is a joy, as I remember that time of ordination, as I remember when this church was getting started, and to be able to look and to see 30 Well, there were 30 people. They were spread out all the way to the back. But now to see you all crammed in there, uh, looking all so uncomfortable. I love that. No, no, no. You look comfortable and you look ready to go. Uh, But what a privilege. I really do believe that this church is here for such a time as this. You believe that? I believe it. I believe that when, when, when Pastor Tim, Pastor Jesse were coming up here, I believe that there was a purpose and a call and, and, and that you are here to do something that, that nothing, no other church can do and no other church is doing. Uh, And so this is an exciting, exciting time. And also that you're preaching through the book of Proverbs, one of my favorite books, a privilege to be asked to come uh, during this time that you're teaching through Proverbs. Uh, Now, to say at the very beginning, time out, the pastor always has the right the next week to clean up the heresy if I commit any here today, right? Right. So when you, have a, when you have a guest speaker, you never know what you're going to get, but uh, uh, Pastor Tim will follow this up next week. And, and, uh, but Proverbs is such a powerful book to me, partly because of my story. Your story matters. You bring your story into the relationship with the, with the living God of the universe. He calls you, he brings you, and he, and he rewrites your story, doesn't he? Uh, but, but the reality is you bring your past story into the gospel story. And my story was, uh, even though I was raised in the church, my mom led me to the Lord at a young age. My dad and my mom divorced when I was 10, and I didn't have a role model in the home to teach me how to live. I didn't have a man that was willing to teach me what it meant to be a man. And so the reality is we try to write our own code. We try to figure it all out on our own. And oftentimes, as we write our own code of manhood, man, we know that if God's not in the picture, we write the wrong code of manhood. And we end up with a defective manhood. And so Proverbs became uh, one of those great books for me, as sort of the father teaching the son how to be a man, to live in the real world as it is. And so Proverbs carries that message. Normally speaking, this is how life is to be done. It is wisdom from God, skill for living, and that was the one thing I wanted. I didn't want to be like my dad. He was an educated mess. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but his family blew up. I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to have some skill, and the reality is it comes only from living uh, from the, the gospel outward uh, and how the truth of God sets us free truly to live in a powerful way. And so uh, I love I love the book of Proverbs and how powerful it is for giving us skill for our everyday life. Proverbs 1-7 actually is the verse of the month for the ministry I serve in the greater Orlando area called Forge. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. How many have this memorized actually? Are you forcing them to memorize this, Pastor Tim? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can't get out of here, nor can you get into heaven until you memorize Proverbs 1. Kidding, kidding. Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom fools despise wisdom and instruction what a great place to start as we think about decision making in the will of God Uh, that that is the theme that is the motto of really this this whole book the fear of the Lord Uh, at Proverbs 19 9 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding I mean there's truth and then there's truth applied right There's truth that we know to be true and truth that we fully understand. Have you ever heard the preaching of the word and you've heard it preached over and over and then you finally say, oh, I get it now. I get it now. That's what he means by understanding. Uh, And the fear of the Lord comes up in Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 9.10. And then, lo and behold, this morning. Proverbs 15 the, the proverb of the day is the, the proverb of the day that corresponds with the month right so my philosophy is uh, proverb a day keeps stupidity away and uh, and so the proverb of the day proverbs 15:33 the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom and before honor interesting before honor comes humility I just finished a great book yesterday entitled uh, the, the how, what is it the ideal team player The Ideal Team Player. So some of you are on teams, some of you lead teams. Patrick Lencioni is a Catholic believer, I think, but he wrote that book, The Ideal Team Player. He says there's three key elements of a a great team player. Number one is that they are humble. Number two, that they're hungry. Number three, that they're smart, have people smarts. But notice how it starts. He taps into this biblical idea of humility, Uh, Well, that comes from the fear of the Lord. All right, so uh, this is a great place. Proverbs 1-7 is where we're starting, kind of the jump-off place today on this topic of decision-making in the will of God. And uh, let me give you a little background behind that title. I stole that title from a book that came out when I was going to Biola College back, uh, it was right after the first ice age uh, in Southern California. And this book came out, Decision-Making in the Will of God. It's a great book, a very influential book at that time, uh, and um, I, I had it for years. I, I don't have it anymore because I loaned it to a Christian, and um, I learned an important lesson as a pastor, never loan your books, because when you want them, then you don't have them. So if you're going to loan a don't loan a book, give a book, right? And pastors, right, right, right? I love that, right? Right. Never trust, and particularly a signed book from an author. Never loaned that book. Those never came back. Okay, but what I look, but that book, decision making in the will of God, was so powerful because back then, when I was much younger, we were all making key life decisions, and as believers, of course, we wanted to make sure that our Decisions in life aligned with the will of God. I mean, that's that's the gospel, isn't it? We have been redeemed. We have been set free by the blood of the Lamb, that we could follow the Lamb of God, the Lord of the of the church. And so, every decision was to be lined up with the will of God. That makes sense. But back then, we were dealing with a lot of things that were we might call pretty selfish because we were younger back then. Uh, at Biola College, a lot of us were thinking we're going to go into ministry. Uh, what ministry are we going to go into? And what woman are we going to marry? Those were the two. And none of you at Reformed Bible College ever think any of those thoughts. Amen. Right? Uh, girls, what guy am I going to? But, but decision-making in the will of God was kind of focused on those things back then. Uh, but have, I've come to see, of course, that all my life it's, it's so important to have our will in alignment with the will of God. And that's what Proverbs is all about. Um, R.C. Sproul came out with a book uh, not long after I graduated from college. Uh, and it was on the will of God. And he talked about three elements of the will of God which have served me well all through my adult life. He talked about the decretive will of God. Right? The decrees of God. God says, thus saith the Lord. This is what's going to happen. And you, can you and I change the decretive will of God? Answer? No. No. I mean, God decrees it. He is the Lord of the universe, and there it is. He decreed that creation would come to be. So there is the decretive will of God. Then there is the preceptive will of God, right? The precepts. The teachings in the Word of God that we get on how to live our lives. Uh, and, 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 And then there is the permissive will of God. What he permits to happen, have we offered up enough range of discussion for you to talk until Jesus comes back on the will of God? Yeah, this is powerful stuff. But usually when we think of the idea of decision making in the will of God, we're not thinking about the decretive will of God. We're not necessarily even thinking about the preceptive will of God because as someone has said, 99% of the will of God is already in the Bible for us, isn't it? Think about that one. I don't know if that's true, pastors. You could check that out. But 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 so much of God's will for us is already revealed in the Bible, in the precepts of the will of God. And so, a lot of times when we think of decision making in the will of God, what we're thinking about is those areas that God does not directly address in Scripture about our life. What am I going to do? Uh, what job should I take? Where should I live? Who should I marry? Um, what do I do in this particular phase of my life? And so we see that decision-making in the will of God affects all of our life. And, uh, uh, and, and even though back then when we were younger, we were de- dealing with things like identity, who am I? Purpose, why am I here? Character, how should I live? Um, uh, confidence, boy, I need confidence because I feel very insecure. And legacy, what am I? Most of us back then when we were in college weren't thinking about legacy. You don't think about legacy until you have your 40th birthday and you walk into your office and it's filled with black balloons. And then you, oh, I'm gonna die. <laughs> and after 40, you start, all the birthday cards are, you're an old man. I never get good birthday cards anymore, especially for my kids. I want you to know. But the reality is decision-making and the will of God is crucial for us. That's a long introduction, but let me ask you this. When was the last time you made a bad... Don't raise your hand. (laughs) No speaking out loud. When was the last time you made a bad decision? When was the last time you made a rash or too quick decision? I see some activity going on when was the last time you made a decision of something that you said you were going no 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 trying to pull it back you can't do it Um, when did you make a decision last that was outside of the will of God and what were the consequences so I want to just give some guidelines from Proverbs about making decisions real quick I understand that we have until three o'clock today so uh, we're going to get a whole survey of the book of I don't speak that long I do not speak as long as your pastor's So, oh, well, I don't know. Today, we'll see. But you've got your outline. i got four points that I want to make uh, make about decision-making in the will of God. And the first one is that the starting place for good decisions is really the fear of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, The starting place for making good decisions in life is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1:7. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools... And what are the types of people that we find in the book of Proverbs? There are fools. There are the naive, the simple, the untrained, the immature. And then there's the scoffers. Which is the worst? Depends on the scholar that you read at the time. But many would say that the scoffer is the worst. Uh, the fool, uh, the, the scoffer is the extension of the fool. He's even worse than the fool. Well, uh, be that as it may, uh, what we see here is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom... Wisdom is skill, and in this case, skill in decision-making. So the fear of the Lord is the starting point for making all all decisions. Charles Bridges made a great point, uh, and he was a great commentator from, uh, I believe, the 1700s. but, But he said this, that the fear of the Lord is that, listen, I love this, that affectionate, did you quote this already? Whenever you preach someplace, call the pastor and ask him. So you have this memorized. uh, That affectionate reverence by which the child of God himself humbly and carefully, uh, bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. I could quote your pastor or Charles Bridges on that. That The fear of the Lord is, listen, that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's will. And I love that. Affectionate reverence for the the laws of God. If you read Psalm uh, 119, you know that there are eight different words associated with the word of God or the law of God. Eight synonyms. The law of God is mentioned 25 times. Testimonies, 23 times. The precepts of God, 21 times. 22 times for the commandments, the righteous judgments, only four, statutes, 22, the word of God, 41, ordinances, 20. There's a lot of different ways of saying it, but the fear of the Lord is when we affectionately bow ourselves to the law, the word, the truth, the teaching of God's word. Why? Why in the world would we bend ourselves affectionately to our Father in heaven and say, I want your law? I want your priests. I want them. Please. Uh, I want them. Why? Only if you know that that father loves you more than you could ever imagine and has an incredible plan for your life. Only when you understand the grace and mercy of God as exhibited in the cross of Jesus Christ can you ever say, teach me your law. Teach me your words, because it is the grace of God that energizes all growth. We talked about becoming like Jesus Christ today. Uh, The will of God in 1 Thessalonians, the will of God is our sanctification. Why should we want to grow up in Christ? Why should we want to become like Christ? Because the grace of God says that we have been loved before the foundation of the world, redeemed in the blood of Christ, that Jesus lived for us, and he rose again on our behalf. And we, God has no, you know God's not angry at you. You know that, don't you? You say, you don't know what I did this week. No, but I'd like to know. Tell me, I need some sermon illustrations. But it doesn't matter. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you go running back to your father because of Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus says it is finished, he means the anger of God was poured out on Jesus and God has no anger left for you and no anger left for me. All he has is his grace and mercy in our lives and his laws and his commandments and his precepts are to teach us, to set us free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Uh, And and so the beginning of all this is the fear of the Lord to make great decisions is to come back to the gospel again and again and again. And remember, when we have to make decisions, that we come back to the one who loves us and whose word is, is calculated and set up that we would be set free and have the best possible life in a broken world. And I love that. I love verse two uh, here where it it says that the the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And yet, the reality is God loves us more than we ever can understand. Some of us are pretty utilitarian and pragmatic in our Christian life. You, You know, you can be that even as a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe that God, do you believe God is holy? Do you believe God is omnipresent? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God watches all of us? See, the the environment that I was raised in as a Christian was an environment that taught the the gospel but also taught a lot of law. And I I think what was more real to me growing up was not the grace of God but was the judgment of God. So as a little boy being raised in the church, I, I was going to try and do what God wanted me to do. You know why? Because little boys step out of line a lot, and God just loves to squash us like a bug, doesn't he, if we step out of line. No, you're right. No, he doesn't. But it's very easy for us, if we don't understand the grace of God, to think that I'm going to be obedient to God for utilitarian purposes. Because it works. Then God doesn't bring His judgment into my life. Then I'm okay. Then I'm on His side. But that's not, that's not the fear of the Lord. It's fear, but it's not the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is that humble uh, uh, son, daughter, coming and bending before the Father who He knows loves them deeply and has an incredible plan for their life. Um, all right, I'm going to read an introduction of an Old Testament passage here real quick. And I want you to tell me where it's from. You ready? Okay. Uh, And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall... Where does that come from? Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, You shall not make for yourself graven images. You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. And it goes on and on. You got those all memorized? But I love verse 2. I am the Lord your God who did what? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I set you free. And what we often forget about the Ten Commandments is how those were given after they had been set free. This is how you live after you get set free. This is how God says, I want your life to thrive. Uh, and, and, and so I learned from Martin Luther. Now, I, I actually say the Ten Commandments almost every day. And the reason is verse two. Because it reminds me that he brought me out of the house of slavery and that he's not trying to mess up my life, but he's trying to build my life. And he still has a plan for my life that is good. And by the way, he has that for you, doesn't he? Do you believe that deeply in the core of your soul? Uh, And so decision-making in the will of God starts with uh, understanding the fear of the Lord. Uh, And by the way, this is New Testament teaching too, right? Romans 12, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you may present yourself a living sacrifice. Why? Because of the mercies of God, the grace of God, uh, and the affectionate bending to the will of God is the starting point for making all decisions in life. And that opens up the Scripture Because I realize God is not trying to mess up my life. He's trying to build my life. Something that my earthly father was not able to do and apparently didn't want to do, my heavenly father says, I am available to you 24-7, 365. Okay, this is going to sound like guilt. It's not. You ready? In the morning when you wake up, do you read scripture? Do you have a daily, what I call a daily appointment with God? Do, do you have devotions? They used to call it the family altar, I think. I don't think it meant that they sacrificed chickens out in the backyard. Um, but but I, the reason why I spend time with God in the morning is because you know what I need to hear every morning? Even this morning before I came here, you are my son. And Jesus lived a perfect life for you, fulfilling the law for you. And then he went to the cross for you and took his curse for you. So you're my son. And that is your identity now. And so when you get that identity, you keep reading, and then what do you say? Lord, tell me. Give me more. Give me more. So the first thing to learn as a uh, Uh, as, as we see here, is that the starting point for good decisions in those areas that we don't know what we're supposed to do exactly is the fear of the Lord. The second point I want you to note is that the short circuit of good decisions is the enticement of sinners. Now, have you dealt with this already, pastor? Pastors, have you dealt with this already? Chapter two, the enticement of sinners. You've gone through this in depth. Do you have anything to learn yet left over from this? I ho- I'm going to hope so because that's my second point. You guys are stuck. I'll make it brief. Uh, but, but boy, this is so important because we, we know that sinners entice us, don't we? Right? We know that, but sometimes we don't think about it in context of our decision making. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about. Proverbs 1, verse 10 uh, I love this. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. But the reality is, it's not if sinners will entice us, it's what? Talk to me. It's when we are enticed. Uh, and so that's a, a very important reality. He says, when they, if they say to you, come, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. Um, he sets up really sort of something that is an example of the enticement of sinners in our life. Uh, and this is it sort of sounds like a gang in the inner city of Orlando or something making, hey, let's let's hey, let's set up uh, an ambush, let's get those guys, you know? But this illustration also sounds to me almost like a gang of white-collar criminals in the boardroom making a decision. Or or a gang of political operatives saying, this is how we can take advantage of the people and get more money. It doesn't matter what the gang looks like. There is enticement, and it's all around us, and it's 24-7, 365. What is more important to those who are enticing us? Do they want money, or do they want power? What do you think? Well, we can have a big discussion about that. My... my um, My longevity in life leads me to this conclusion that a lot of people at first are motivated more by money. but They want power, but they are more motivated by money. But once they get the money, what do they continually want more of? Money and power. And those two things are so addictive that they lead those motivated by evil to entice the rest of us. And it's important for us to use biblical terminology, isn't it? And to understand that there are evil people out there, uh, not just evil systems. I mean, systems, you don't get evil systems until you have evil people, right? So I believe in evil systems, but you gotta have evil people, and you gotta have evil before you have evil systems. And so it's important for us to understand that enticement is everywhere, and we're getting blasted with it so much. Some of you are right now looking, I mean, most of your heads are up here, and that's a good thing, but some of you are dealing with a couple of emails or texts this morning here in church. I understand that. The enticement is there. Have I I ever dealt, have I ever ever done a text in church? Not today, but I confess that I have. Isn't it terrible? Um, The enticement is everywhere. I want to tell you something that when I was a young pastor, and this will blow you absolutely away. You ready for this? You will not believe this. When I first started my ministry here in Orlando, we were in a storefront, and I had an appointment with, a say, one of our young men across the town, across the city, and I would drive over to that appointment for lunch, and as soon as I left my office, I had no phone in my car. No, seriously, I know you don't believe that. There was no phone in my hand. There was no no phone in my car. Seriously, I had 30 minutes driving to an appointment across town. I, no, I'm not lying to you. It's really true. And then I'd have the lunch appointment, and then I'd drive back 30 minutes. And the only noise in the car was what? If I put the radio on and was singing Born to be Wild out the window or whatever. I mean... But I could also have been memorizing Scripture. I could have been praying. I could have been thinking. I could have had time of quiet when I wasn't being attacked. And guys, it's everywhere. It's all the time. You know it. You know it, I know it, but the enticement is so powerful that, that even recent studies are, are, are showing that if you will put your phone down, if I'll put my phone down for a, a few hours a day at a time, maybe even a day at a time, it would be hard to get our work done sometimes, but the reality is we would have greater peace of mind. And may be able to hear God more when it comes to making decisions that are crucial to our life. And so it's important to understand that enticements are everywhere. And these enticements to sin are partly so they can control us, but also so they can mess up our lives. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. That is an incredible warning that what these people are trying to do that entice us is they want to control us so that we'll mess up our own life. Do they think that intentionally? I don't know. But I know that the evil one does, that Satan does, that he wants us to live a horrible life. You know that you have somebody that absolutely hates your heart, hates you with all that you are. And that's the evil one. And the evil one hates you because he hates God. And he wants to see you live a miserable life. Because it's the only way he knows to get back at God. I think Satan thinks he's going to win. He's not. We know he's not. But the reality is, is he wants to entice us, and he's got a lot of uh, demonic powers, and he's got a lot of willing human beings to be a part of the process uh, to get us to fall. And so the reality is, is that enticements to sin are everywhere, and, and, and they want to destroy our lives. And so uh, th- this is what I love when it follows this in verse 20. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the streets in the market she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets she cries out that feminine uh, pronoun there is interesting guys that gets my attention i don't know if it gets your attention why in the hebrew text uh, does it use the feminine pronoun to get our attention about wisdom perhaps men it's because we uh, we tend not to listen and we need the proverbial whoop upside the head so he gives it to us right here wisdom is a lady Ladies, do you always, 100% of the time, have wisdom for us men? Say yes, it's okay. Thank you for shaking your head no, because uh, I was going to say that. Uh, but, but the reality is we men need to listen to each other as brothers, and we need to listen to each other as sisters. We need wisdom, and we need it from human beings, but we mainly need it from God. Uh, she cries out. So what we learn about this is that God is not trying to keep anything from us. That God is the great communicator. And that he's always giving his wisdom to us in his word. It's out there. It's cast out there and with other people. And we need to listen. How long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Now now this, this is where it's going to get a little intense. You listening? because this is... This gets my attention. She calls out to us. Lady Wisdom calls to us and says, Follow my way. Don't go this way. Go this way. Skill and the fear of the Lord says, This is how you should make a decision. If you turn to my reproof, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you because I've called and you refused. What happens when we hear the wisdom of God and then we directly turn the other way. Well, Proverbs tells us, verse 24, Because I've called and you refuse to listen and stretch out my hand and no one is heeded, because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. These are hard words. You ready? You ready? I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you then you will call on me and i will not what answer now we have to put this into a perspective i think that is god is god the father is your father is your lord jesus christ is he unavailable when you and i make a bad decision no he's not unavailable I think the big point here that he's trying to get across, what wisdom is pointing out to us, is that that he gives us the truth to guide our lives, to build our lives in a powerful way. But if we turn away from wisdom, there are, what's that word? Consequences. There are consequences. And so often what God allows us to do is to bear the consequences of our bad decisions, doesn't it? I, I, you would not believe the number of times I have people come to me and they say it to you too, probably pastors. They say, they say, I don't know why God allowed this in my life. I just have no idea. And a lot of times that's about physical ailments, and I get that. I get that. Um, but there's a lot of times too that uh, it has to do with decisions they've made. And what I deeply want to say as a pastor is, oh, I'll tell you why. Actually, I do. The better I know him, the more I can say it. Can we talk about it? Can we look at the reality of your life? You did this, this, and this, and this is the consequence. Opposed to the Word of God, and you bear the consequence. And so the reality is there are all kinds of, of decisions and that proverbs is very straightforward, and it just says that we bear the consequences for making bad decisions in those areas, in those areas uh, that we have to make decisions of where we might go against the will of God. Here's a matrix I use. There's all kinds of decisions, right? Do you do you hier- do you make a hierarchy of your decisions? Um, there are trivial decisions, right? There's some what I wore today. I mean. Because I'm going to stand in front of you, I'm concerned about that. Um, But at the end of the day, what I wore today, is that a very important decision? No. That's really a trivial decision, right? Um, We have a lot of trivial, we have short-term, moderately uh, impactful decisions. Short-term, moderately impactful decisions. Then we have long-term, moderately impactful decisions, right? Then we have short-term, big impact decisions. And then there are long-term, major impact decisions. That's kind of a matrix that I use when I make decisions. I say, what kind of a decision is this? And a lot of times I am wrapped up with silly decisions, and my wife will often tell me that in so many words, Um, like that's silly, and that's a good thing, I need that kind of stuff, but the reality is every decision we make has a cost, doesn't it? Uh, every decision we make has a cost. Sometimes there's a spiritual cost. Sometimes there's a monetary cost. Almost always there's a time cost. There's an emotional cost. There's a relational cost. And so as we think about decision-making in the will of God, and we understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that, uh, and, and that the reality is is that we're enticed so much in so many different areas to make bad decisions, I guess one of my questions to you today is what entices you the most in every way? Or We're all different, right? Money, sex, power. We're enticed. But, but all of us are unique in those things that entice us and that draw us. And sometimes it's our temperament Those of you that are externally oriented, uh, sanguine, everybody loves you, you're the life of the party, you want approval. Some of you are lions, and you want to control everything, and your biggest fear is losing control. Um, uh, Some of you you are deeply analytical people, and you always want to be right, Uh, and you fear being wrong, and some of you just don't like change, right? and you fear change. Some of those temperamental things also affect how we make decisions. So Proverbs 4 has been very helpful for me verse 23. Proverbs 4:23 says, "Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life." And what has helped me so much in making decisions over the years at every phase of life is to try to know uh, t- try to answer this question. What entices me, and why do I do what I do in the way I do it? What is, what is drawing me uh, to, to make a decision in this way before I make the decision? Uh, and that's why a lot of times in my daily appointment with God, I, I spend time trying to unpack the confusion at the beginning of the day. Lord, I got decisions I have to make today. Lord, w- but my mind is so confused here. I don't even know Uh, what to think. So I start reading the Word, and then sometimes I come right back to this verse. What's going on in your heart, son? What's going on inside you? And that's when I'll start journaling, because a lot of times I don't know what's going on inside me, what I'm feeling, what I'm frustrated about. What I'm think, I would like to think that I'm always a biblically cerebral Christian, where I always think through uh, the proper confession of faith and all of Scripture. I'm always thinking biblically, but I'm not. So I need the Word of God to bring me back to think God's thoughts after Him, but I need time with my Father to also unpack my emotions, to know what's going on in my heart, because the reality is my decisions typically come from my heart our decisions come from our heart which is the center of our being in the hebrew way of thinking and how powerful and important it is so what proverbs teaches in a powerful way is the starting place of all good decisions is the fear of the lord the short circuit of good decisions is the enticement of sinners i won't make good decisions if i'm enticed and then thirdly i want you to note that the strategy for good decisions is, what do you see on your outline there? Hard work. Hard work. Um, so I talked a little bit about temperament, and um, over the years I've had to struggle with the, uh, the, the temperamental proclivity for me to think that everybody is um, everybody's wonderful, everybody has good motives, I love people, uh, and so I can make a decision when it comes to hiring somebody or working with somebody, and I don't have to really do the hard work of thinking this through, right? Just trust everybody is good and wonderful and they will do their job. And I've had to learn that that I tended to trust people too much and that if you're going to make a good decision, it demands hard work about who you hire, how you spend your money, how you serve the Lord, how you do whatever you do. And if I don't take the time to make a good decision and spend the hard work making a good decision ahead of time, then the question comes back, when am I going to have the time to clean up my bad decision and take the time to make a good decision? So the Lord has convicted me over the years with Proverbs 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And so God is not trying to hide anything from us. But the Word of God says you got to seek it, right? He lays it out there. What's your next decision? What what do you have to decide in terms of your time, your treasures, your talents, your job, uh, your family? uh, Areas where Scripture gives principles but not specifics. That's where he says, you seek me and I'll show you. You seek me, and it will come. I have never, never in my short life, and I was around at the time of the Apostle Paul, (laughs) I have never not seen God lead. When you pursue his word through the gospel of grace, when you do what you do here, When you exalt Christ, when you study the truth, when you're evangelizing other people with the gospel, when you're keeping kingdom focused and leading and being led by the Spirit of God, God will lead us. One thing I've learned about the Scripture: uh, I used to think if I read it once. Have you Have you ever met those people that say I read the Bible? my neighbor across the street, I love him, he's a great guy, he needs Jesus, he thinks he's a Christian, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I love him though, he's a great guy, and so he said to me, uh, Pete, I'm going to read the Bible this year, This was a couple of years ago, so he read the Bible, and he goes, you know what I found out in the Bible, there's so many things that we say in common language that is found in the Bible, and I said, you're absolutely right, and, and so I said, are you reading the Bible every day, and he goes, I read the Bible, I, I read it, I read it last year, I read the Bible, and you and I both know that the Bible is two-thirds Old Testament. Hebrew literature is meant to be read over and over and over again. You know that? it's, it's Hebrew literature in the Old Testament is meditative le- uh, literature that, that is meant to be read over and over and over again. And as you read it, the words, the truth, bubble to the surface. New Testament, the same, Uh, uh, but it's meant to be read over and over and over so that as our lives grow and as we develop, we become even better decision-makers. And that's why the Word of God has to richly dwell within us. And uh, God is ready all over to, um, uh, to, to to get His guidance into our life. And it's absolutely stunning how when you have to make a decision, How if you will jump into the Word of God at the beginning of the day, how the Word of God tends to align with some of the decisions that you have to... No, it doesn't align with your decision, but God the Father says this applies to you. And He does that through the Spirit as you read the Scriptures. So I hardly ever um, uh, start my day without reading a chapter of Proverbs because I found how Proverbs aligns with my actual schedule. Lord, I'm going to meet with Bill today. And I read a scripture and I go, whoa, it just is highlighted there. As he leads us and guides us uh, and the way that we should go, he will counsel us with his eye upon us. So the strategy for good decisions is taking the time uh, to study the word of God on a daily basis, on a regular basis. But here's another aspect I really encourage you to do, and that is to continue to memorize large chunks of scripture. To take the time uh, as you can to memorize literally paragraphs in the Bible, literally books in the Bible as you can, uh, and let the Word of God richly dwell within you. Part of the hard work of making good decisions is also uh, getting good and godly counsel. I read a book this morning, uh, read from a book this morning, uh, that was talking about C.S. Lewis, who loved to read medieval literature. Did you, do? You how many like me, reading medieval literature? Good, I see. Yeah, I, I know. And people, a couple of people kind of going, yeah, sorta. Like, what is medieval literature? Um, how many of you like the, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? All right, there we go. He, story uh, along that level. C.S. Lewis loved a guy by the name of Boethius. Boethius was a philosopher in the 5th century. And Boethius uh, was writing at the time when the Ostrogoths were about ready to take over the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was crumbling and and, and ancient philosophy of the Greeks was going to be lost. And Boethius wrote this book called On the uh, the Contemplation of Philosophy, On the Consolation of Philosophy. And and, and he basically said this. He said... Here's the bottom line story. The barbarians are taking over. We have all these guys from the north. He didn't say it this way, okay? It's in the original text in a footnote. We got all these guys with big old beards, fair skin. They, they're beer-drinking thanes. I think a thane is a negative connotation. They're bad dudes, they're taking over the Roman culture, and we're going to lose all this wonderful Greek truth that we've had from the past. The barbarians are taking over, and we've got to preserve philosophy. So he wrote how important philosophy is. And I thought this morning, I thought, you know, that is really a paradigm of our day, isn't it? Because as those of us who were raised in America and some of us who are older, this is not the America that we were raised in. It's really different. It's not that it, the church is different. This church is biblical. I love this church. But our culture is different. And sometimes after I switch off the news, and I'm sort of a news junkie, but so, I turn it off, I go, the barbarians, are all around us and we have to have the word of God because it is only the word of God that will sustain us because the barbarians have taken over and they're taking over and then and then as I get angry Jesus says remember to love your enemy oh yeah okay and so I wake up and I say, Lord Jesus, help me to love those barbarians today. But the reality is we need the Word of God that is permeating our lives and making great decisions so that we are set free. And then lastly, and this is, uh, this is a short, short point, the shock to bad decisions is quick repentance. Uh, okay, how many, I'd love to take a, ha- a show of hands. How many of you have ever made a bad decision, please? Yes, yes. I thank you, thank you. God bless you. I'm not the only one. Um, I, I'm not the only one. We all have made bad decisions, rash decisions, decisions unbiblical decisions. What there's a, Proverbs addresses how we can deal with a bad decision. My son, verse chapter six, verse one. My son, if you've become a, a guarantor for your neighbor, or have given your handshake to a stranger, if you've been ensnared by the words of your mouth, or caught by the words of your mouth. Then do this, my son, and save yourself, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go humble yourself and be urgent with your neighbor to free yourself. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of your fowler. This is a great illustration. Of a person that made a bad decision. It's like a guy that comes to you and says, Hey, I want to borrow 10,000 bucks from you. I, uh, I, w- I want to buy a Lamborghini and I need 10,000 to, to get going. Would you give me 10,000? And you say, Yeah. And then you say, Wait a minute, you work at Chick fil A. You will never be able to pay this back. And you go running back to him and say, Wait a minute, I, mean, I said something really stupid. I, I'm going to give you 10,000 bucks. You'll never be able to pay that back. Would you let me out of that promise? And 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 I love I love this illustration, because what it does is it says to us we make bad decisions we make bad commitments from time to time. How do we address those things? When we sin, what do we do? Face it, right? When we make a bad decision with somebody, when we make a bad promise, we go, hey, I, you know what? I have to repent because I can't do this. The bad. The way we grow as Christians is not by making perfect decisions all the time. I would would love to say that the Word of God always enables us to make good decisions all the time. It will, but sometimes I don't listen. The Holy Spirit of God leads us, but sometimes I'm not listening. So I make bad decisions, but as soon as I understand I've made a bad decision, a poor decision, an unbiblical decision, an ungodly decision, the the. Because of the gospel of grace, what do we do? We run right back to the cross. We run right back to our Father. Grace enables us to face ourselves. The gospel of grace says that God in Jesus Christ has so redeemed us perfectly that we are seen as those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That God isn't angry at us, even when we make bad decisions. And we can run back to Him, and He will forgive us as we confess our sins to Him, as we deal with the situation. Sometimes when I make a rash decision, I have to live with the consequence. But 1 John 1, 1.9 is for us, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He is faithful, just, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. I need that. It's my life story. Uh, And I hope it is for you too. And so as we go into this, uh, uh, get ready to walk out of here and and go on with the rest of our day. and, And the day here is just beginning. I understand that. You have a great church day together. It is the Lord's day. So my question to you is, what decisions do you have to make? What decisions are upcoming? What are big decisions, small decisions, trivial decisions? What decisions are coming? And, and then um, uh, secondly, I would say, do you have a decision to undo? Is there somebody around here today that has ha- ha- made a rash decision? You promise something that there's no way you'll be able to fulfill. Is there somebody to go to, to run to, that you have to go to to undo that um, then understand that God is so forgiving. Philippians 3, Brothers, I do not regard myself as having attained it all, perfection, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. I press on uh, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, We've all failed. We all get to repent and come back home. Two things I want to leave you with. And that is the gospel of grace leads us to make great decisions, not mediocre decisions. John Mason, uh, who's written a good little book uh, uh, entitled "Your Your Enemy Is Average," says this. He says mediocrity is a region bounded on the north by compromise, on the south by indecision, on the east by past thinking, and on the west by a lack. A vision What the Word of God enables us to do when it comes to our decision making is to live beyond the level of mediocrity that so many of the people that we know and live around are, are just encased in average, mediocre lives. But He has redeemed us to set us free to make a difference. And some of you are thinking, No, not me, I'm nobody special. Well, here's the words uh, that I go back to often. Um, Max Lucato said this, and I don't read a lot of Max Lucato. I'd rather read R.C. Sproul. But, but Max Lucato said this, and it's got my attention. He said this. He says, your life is a plot. Your years have a theme. You can do something in a way that no one else can because Jesus redeemed you. You play no small part because there is no small part to play. And I believe that with all of my being because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been called, we have been signed, sealed, and delivered into the Father's hands. And those of you who are younger, make good decisions now. They'll come back to haunt you if you don't. And those of you who are in middle age, Make great decisions because everybody's looking. And when you get to my age, make great decisions because you don't have much time to redo them. Decision-making in the will of God. He is good and He loves you. You play no small part because there is no small part to play. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever imagine. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we belong to you as deeply beloved daughters and sons through faith alone in Jesus' work. And I ask that you would bless the teaching of this word, but I, bless, I ask that you would bless these great people, young, middle-aged, and older age. Lord, I pray that you would bless the pastors, bless the ministry, of this church, that it would continue to shine as a light in this great city. Uh, We commit this time to you as we pray in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God's people said, Amen. Amen.